hands and goosebumps all around. I'm putting the timer on. I think my brain just broke. (laughs) Well, let's see how that goes for podcasting. Five minutes or less. Give us your backstory. What is your experience with eating disorders? Go. My experience with eating disorders is I have been in and out of eating disorders of varying shapes and sizes (laughs) for the past, for over a decade, Um, 12 years. I've been carrying around this thing and... What's incredible about this and why I want to be talking about it is that eating disorders are something that it's ebbed and flowed. And I'm in recovery now, but I was also in recovery in high school. This eating disorder, which I thought that I had solved before I went off to college, and then it came back when I was in college, and then it went away again, and then I took it with me to grad school. I didn't, part of the reason why I didn't seek help in grad school until I did was I didn't understand that this thing can come back. And it is not something like many other types of physical ailments that can heal and you can put it away and compartmentalize it. This is something that can come back and can live in various ways inside you for a long time. And the thing about eating disorders is that it's not about solving them, it's about managing them. I guess I realized I had to stop waiting for this thing to disappear because it's going to be a part of me. And what made me seek help is that I was letting it be too big of a part of me and it was in control rather than me being in control. So I was, my first eating disorder is when I was in high school and I developed anorexia nervosa. I was hospitalized, I think the first couple weeks of my senior year in high school. When every time someone asks me, you know, what was it? I just have to say, it, it's eating disorders and addictions in general are never one thing. It was kind of a perfect collection of experiences. The f- crazy thing is, Susan, is growing up, I never even thought twice about what I ate. Yeah. I was active. I ate to my heart's content. I ate and enjoyed it. And food was just food. I never gave it a second thought. I wasn't chubby. I didn't have any of the things that you would assume an eating disorder person might struggle with. So for me, it actually wasn't about the food. Me restricting eating was a manifestation of my internal state. And that's what a lot of people don't really know about eating disorders. It's not about looking good. It's not about not wanting to eat. It's about, I was hurting as a high schooler. I was in so much pain just inside and I did not know how to let that out or express it. And so in a way, my eating disorder was a physical manifestation of the pain that I was feeling at the time when I was 16 years old. I think one of the reasons it's why it's very common for girls, of course, the automatic assumption is, well, food and girls have to be skinny. And that's, that is an unfortunate truth about our society, how much praise thinness gets. But the truth of the matter is it involves food and it involves elements about body image, but It is truly about internalizing your hurt. Yeah. That is the core of the issue. And I want people to understand that. So it ebbed and flowed throughout college. I think it really limited my ability to achieve what I knew I could achieve in college. And I didn't want to accept that this thing had come back. Yeah. And so I just, I, on paper, was very successful, but always teetered on the edge of being too restrictive and too skinny. And then my senior year of college, it evolved into binge eating disorder. 30 seconds. 
that I didn't want to tell anyone about. Binge eating disorder came out with me to grad school where it developed into bulimia, and I only recently sought help last summer. Is that it? I did yeah, it. yeah, you did it. You did it. I did it. Woo! I did it. I think I'm you did it sweating. better. sweating. I'm Not literally competitive, but I think you did. I know we forgot but to like, turn off the AC. I'm I sorry. Literally, you guys. You can probably all hear that. I just won. <laughs> That's the point of this. So, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Like, so I've had a, I've had eating disorders in all the different flavors, folks. So, which I think you know is important to note that it is something that can change. It is something that like it's because it's not about it's not about either you know with anorexia like not eating and, and being skinny and with bulimia they have different they're all about an emotional or maybe control oriented connection that's not really about the. Food. Can I? Yeah just do one comment to respond to that. Yeah. That is a huge point that I think is so necessary to truly understand these things. Anorexia and bulimia and everything in between and disordered eating itself, everything, they're triggered by many different things. It's never just one thing. Right. Restrictive eating tends to be more about wanting to feel in control. And at the time when I was 16, a lot of the, of the dysfunction that I saw around me and so badly wanted to fix because I wanted, it was my way of trying to protect my family. There, I had really difficult stuff um, in my family, like a lot of people do, and I could not solve those problems, and I felt like it was my job to do that. Right. So food became a way of me feeling like I had control over these things that could not be solved, and that scared me to death. And then with bulimia, I love how you used the word escape when you were talking about food earlier, because... It's not so, it's almost on the whole flip side of the spectrum. It's down the way other end. It's about you, you're out of control and you are right. eating to dampen down the extremely uncomfortable feelings that you do, do not want to confront. A very important woman in my life, her name is Bette. <laughs> when I was calling around a couple years ago to find a therapist in the area, she said this thing to me and I immediately thought she gets it. Mm. I'm going to go with this woman because... She knows what this is. She said that the approach that I take is that eating disorders, they're a way to avoid feeling the feelings we don't want to feel. And I had never heard that before. I had never thought that before. But as soon as she said it, it immediately grabbed me. And I knew that I could trust this woman in getting better. I just wanted to point that out. It's, it can be control, but it can also be escape and trying to numb the things that we do not want to confront and feel in full. What strikes me now is you talk about this, because I, I know bulimia is the more current form of, of what you're dealing with right now. And that's what you're talking about is a lot of escape and a lot of stuffing these feelings down. And I know that one thing you talk a lot with Bate about is how to self-soothe and how to how to, instead of stuffing those feelings down, attack them head on or deal with them or find other outlets for that. And I'm wondering, can you kind of share with us like how that's going for you and maybe some ways that you have tried to learn how to self-suit? Oh my God, that is a, such a good question. It's a topic that I did not think about in preparing for this, probably because I want to avoid it. <laughs> because Susan, I am having an extremely difficult time. Yeah choosing those instead ofs right. and we call them instead ofs <laughs> i have a list of instead ofs posted on my kitchen cabinet which i placed there intentionally to try because i know that where i typically overeat is right in front of my pantry right and so i thought if i put these here it'll divert my attention and i'll somehow be able to work through this yeah 
You could hit me with an instead of in the face and it might still not work. That is still how powerful the habit that I've practiced for over a decade has become. Sorry, can I really rudely interrupt for a second? Please. (laughs) Um, My friend uh, Andy Mitchell, actually, uh, who wrote an amazing book, uh, It Was Me All Along. Um, I I think I remember when I was reading it, she she describes (laughs) binging. (laughs) She describes binging at one point, and I remember never hearing such a great description, which was that she, she said something about like, when you make the decision to binge, and maybe it's not really a decision, but, like, when you enter that mode... When it clicks. When it clicks that, like, you, like, whatever part of your brain that decides that that's happening has decided we are doing this, like, screw all of the good habits, like, it's happening, I've decided. She said it's akin to driving, and maybe people not on the East Coast won't understand this as well, but driving from Massachusetts down to Florida... And then somebody's saying, okay, now don't take a rest, don't take a break, don't do anything, drive back. So, like, deciding, trying to stop a binge once it started is, like, having already driven those, like, whatever, 20 hours and then saying, like, okay, without sleep, turn around. Something that scares me a lot, actually, and I've, I've caught myself doing this is when I get into, I call it binge mode. Yeah. And she's absolutely right. Once, <laughs> once it's on... It is on and come hell or high water, you are going to eat. Right. I cannot think of anything that is strong enough to pull me out of that. Yeah. Susan, I live alone. I know. Working on developing the strength to pull me out of that autopilot mode is one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I would catch myself like this all the time because you never, the, the thing about a binge is that you space out. Yeah. I think sometimes the only thing the only thing that would make me snap back to reality is I would notice that I haven't I wouldn't blink. My huh. eyes, I literally can feel them just get super wide and totally space out. The thing about binging is your eyes get wide, you space out. You're not actually looking at anything. You're just kind of looking off into the distance and you're tuning out and you are not tasting the food. When we binge, we are trying to do one of two things. One is stuff down some sort of extremely uncomfortable emotion that has risen up in us. So we're trying to just stuff it back down. Get down there. Exactly. Or we're trying to fill an emptiness. We're trying to fill some sort of emotional emptiness. And the thing is, is no amount of food will ever be enough. And I even got to the point where I knew who I was binging at or what I was binging at. Yeah. I knew exactly what my trigger was. And in therapy, I could write about it brilliantly after the binge. (laughs) I couldn't actually get myself to stop before and redirect it into writing or calling someone. The thing is about binging is it's like drinking. You binge at people. You binge at a situation that that frustrates you or hurts you or kills you. And there's nothing you can do about it. No amount of food. I mean, I don't know how many nights I spent in college, in my scene in grad school, just staying up all night binging and purging. Because, and that's the thing, you never just do it once. Yeah. It just becomes a cycle. And I have wasted so much time getting locked down into that cycle. What made you decide 
to seek recovery. And, and I would say you're very, like, I know we've talked about how much you hate this term, but I'm going to say it. Like, I would say that you're very high functioning. Like, a lot of people wouldn't know, and I think that you appear very normal, and you appear very together, and this struggle is something that's keeping you up all night and making it harder for you to be organized and doing all of these insidious things for you as a person, but they're not all outwardly obvious. So I would say that, you know, of people who I would say, oh my God, get them into treatment right now, I wouldn't have said you were one of those people. But I also think that, you know, that was really brave of you to, despite that, know that you needed help. And I'm, I'm wondering what made you arrive at that decision. Right. I didn't look like someone with an eating disorder. Right. Which... is like a whole nother... Oh my gosh. I <laughs> cannot even handle that phrase because, yeah, we don't look like anything. There's right. not one look. <laughs> Honestly, Susan, I think I I reached a breaking point. I was exhausted. I had been maintaining this life of doing this behavior in secret at the expense of getting my work done, being an adult, really, being a functioning adult. Sure, I still made it to class or I still got papers done or I still showed up as a friend or girlfriend but not the best friend or best girlfriend that I could be. There were a couple experiences that I think gave me that sinking feeling of, oh my God, Emily, you have to you have to get help. Yeah. And mind you, I was seeing the Tay already and I had seen her for a year. So she had taken me from, when I first started seeing her, I was binging and purging multiple times every day. Wow. It was a part of my day. There wasn't a place. I didn't realize, like, wow, that's, yeah. There wasn't a place on campus in which I did not use behaviors. My first year here, I remember binging and purging in one of the rooms before an eval final, and I just remember feeling, "Why are you doing this? I'm just go to bed, please, go to bed. That's all you want to do." And I couldn't stop. Somehow, still made it to the final. I maintained that for a couple years and I think I just reached a point of I can't do this anymore. This life that this disease has created for me is unsustainable. Oh my gosh. Actually, so I remember, I don't know if, if this is the experience you're, you're referring to, but I, so I was seeing Bate. Bate had taken me from binging and purging multiple times every day down to about three times a week. Right. And just to give you a sense of how distorted this all was, I thought that was great. <laughs> I thought that was... It, it is progress. It is. Thought, yeah. But I thought that was enough. <laughs> you know what? That's great. I can live like this. Right. I did not understand that, no, purging is not a normal outlet, Emily. Like, that's that's not good enough. You don't... You deserve better than that. And I I think for the first time saw that. So my one of my friends was getting married it was just a Saturday um, in the afternoon and she was having her bridal shower. So I was there, you know, went to the party and I think my, my boyfriend was out of town at the time. So this is actually the spring of the summer in which I actually entered the treatment program. Bate has been, had been putting the idea of treatment in my mind for a long time. And I was saying, fuck no. <laughs> nope, I am not. I think my thought was, do you even understand what my life is right now? I'm in a PhD program. I'm in a relationship. I have a job. I there can't is... take a two-month sabbatical. Exactly. Okay. You think I can just put my life on pause and go into treatment? Are you crazy? Like, no, that's just not an option for me. And I fought that with everything that I had. 
there was something about that day, but again, it's never just one thing, this repeated experience of being dominated by this thing and it just winning every single day was after the bridal shower. Um, of course I drank, I woke up, I think I had binged and purged the night before and okay, something I really (laughs) need to say is I don't know if you've ever binge and purge, but it is like getting hit. It You wake up feeling like your face and your head and your chest was just hit by a truck. You feel terrible. It is worse than any hangover I have ever had. And you usually sleep till noon because your body's literally exhausted. Like it's not a normal thing for your body to go through. So I had woken up late. I was rushing to get there. I didn't eat breakfast. But of course, the first thing I did have was a glass of champagne. <laughs> and... You know, of course, the thing about drinking is it starts prompting eating disorder behaviors. Because when I drink, I get uninhibited. And then good luck. Good luck to me trying to fight off a binge. Right. Oh, man, your reserves are gone. If you're drunk and you have an eating disorder and that desire to binge comes, you just might as well put your hands up because (laughs) there is nothing. You've got nothing to fight it with. Yeah. Anyway, so the the bridal shower was great and I had a great time I don't remember a lot of it because I drank a lot of champagne (laughs) but I enjoyed myself I was also feeling really hungry (laughs) so I went through in and out which is one of my danger zones um I got told in treatment that I was way too graphic Um, (laughs) do it do it that's what this is for because I will take you through a binge and purge um yeah so I went through in and out and I could even I could feel like this, I could hear this very faint voice inside me or feel this kind of tug at my stomach saying, Emily, don't do this. You know exactly yeah. where this is going. Yeah. You know where this is going. Like you've, you've had such a good day. Don't do this to yourself. But I couldn't pull myself out. And so I went through in and out, scarfed it down in the car, came home and got everything out. And it's really easy to get everything out now. But you, by which you mean throw up. I yeah. do mean that. <laughs> yeah. So I purged. I know, I'm still scared to even say the word throw up because it just has such a oh. <laughs> terrible response in my own body. But um, so I purged and I came home and I felt exhausted. Yeah. I felt like, even though I know that a binge and purge, it doesn't, can't make or break your day. I know that logically. And tomorrow you have to get up and treat it like a new day. Yeah. I felt like I had, that binge and purge just undermined the whole day I had had. I felt like, I felt like shit, Susan. I felt like, Emily, you've you've killed your day. You're done. Why would you do this to yourself? You were feeling good. You just had a great time with your friends. Why would you do this to yourself? You had, I had so many opportunities to pull myself out of that. But when you're in that and when that switch gets flicked on, you cannot see any of those opportunities. And it's like your mind goes from zero to 60 yeah. in half a second. And that's when I... I just remember coming home and just lying down on this couch. I just started crying. Yeah. I was crying. I was alone and I was just like, I can't do this. Like, okay, you win. This thing wins. So I remember going to Bate when I told her, I think I need to go into treatment. As effed up as it sounds or as terrified as I was to actually check myself into that facility, it felt like relief because I just thought this weight that I've been carrying on me for such a long time I can take it off and kind of let it rest in this treatment facility now. 
I think maybe in one of the conversations we had during that year, or maybe right around that time when you were deciding to go in, like, I just remember being so proud of you. Like, I just remember feeling like you were so courageous and so brave because what I heard you saying throughout this whole decision making and, and even in that whole year before treatment really came up when you were just with Bate, which was like, you recognizing a desire to fight for your life. You recognizing that there was a future. There was a future Emily, and this future Emily got to enjoy her career without spending the whole night doing this, right? She got to enjoy her nights and go to bed and snuggle with her boo and, like, wake up. And I just, like, wake up and snuggle her chubby little, you know, like, beautiful children. And um, there was a future Emily... And I remember, I remember this because the image of it was so powerful to me at the time, but you describing, I can't, I can't be at like my toddler's second birthday party, eating their cake and secretly going into the bathroom in the middle of this birthday party because I need to get it out. I can't miss those moments. I refuse to do that to my children and I refuse to do that to my future husband. I refuse to put them through this and in order to deserve that life, in order to have that life without risking doing this to them, in order to give that life a fighting chance, I have to do this. Like I have to go to treatment and I have to kick this thing a completely to the curb. You're that was beautiful. <laughs> well you said it. I, I said it. it for you. I mean yeah. I almost got kicked out of this PhD program. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people know that. My cycle of binging and purging was so disruptive in my ability to get my work done and to be the adult that I needed to be that I almost didn't get my thesis proposal turned in. Yeah. I just remember so badly wanting to tell my advisor what was going on because no one knew. Yeah. I just wanted so badly to try to explain, oh, the reason I can't work on this for the past couple weeks or the past couple months is because... I have this deep, dark secret that I, it's like I turn into a vampire. Right. I turn, right. I have this alter ego that comes, that takes over at night and I, there, I can't fight it. Right. And it wins every time. Right. And, and those four hours go to that person, not to my thesis. Exactly. Right. I think one of the big reasons that I haven't moved in with my boyfriend is, you know, if, if he and I reach a point in which we are ready to move in together and we, we make that decision... I cannot take my eating disorder into that house or into my professional life or into my marriage. I don't know of a family occasion. I think this past year was the first year that I haven't binged and purged at Thanksgiving in, I I don't know how many years, but I guess what it made me feel is that Emily with an eating disorder, like nothing is sacred. Nothing is safe. Nothing is safe and nothing is sacred. And all I want is just a normal day a normal day and I used to get so jealous when I would just hear people say oh I, I was feeling kind of tired last night and I went to bed early or I just popped in a movie and watched it that sounds like such a simple concept and it blew my mind I I didn't say this out loud to them but in my mind I, I heard myself say I can't do that this robs me of my ability to have a normal day and that is all I want and I think that was the breaking point yeah once I saw this as Emily this is going to get in the way of everything you want to achieve and if you find yourself towards the end of your life looking back and realizing that this thing was still in control during your entire life you will be a waste you will be a waste of talent you will be a waste of potential because you know that you are capable of so much 
And you need to now decide to give that to yourself. Yeah, which yeah. is you fighting, which is which I also have to say you keep you keep referencing living alone, but that's another thing that I have felt so uh, that I think is so courageous because it's a decision you're making. You're not living alone because nobody likes you. No, like, it's, it's terrifying. I, it's terrifying. And, and no one refuses. Like you know, we we would lo- it would be great to live together. You're living together because you made the decision to put yourself in a scary, vulnerable position, which is, you know, you'd never not been with roommates and never not been with people, which is force yourself to be alone and force yourself to build that self-trust and to go through this process knowing yourself and, and really and really building that base that you need, like you said, to go into your breaking life. And I think that is, I can only imagine how terrifying that is when you know, like, the pantry is right there and there's no one to, you know, make you feel socially awkward about it. I can only imagine how terrifying that is. And I think it's incredibly brave. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. There's one thing I want to say, though, which is something I've always admired in you, which I really think speaks to the experience of having an eating disorder, which is you are very good at being able to hear what your gut or your instinct is trying to tell you and you're able to listen to it. And I remember when I first met you and we got into these, you know, real talks, you would make reference to that experience. You know, I know in my gut, you know, I trust my gut. And I, oh my gosh, I was so envious of that Mm. experience. Life with an eating disorder truly is the loss of your ability to listen to your instinct. I don't know how exactly that happens, but you're just so out of touch with how you really feel about things. And you don't let yourself, you're always kind of putting a cap on yourself every time. A binge and purge is a cap. Not eating is a cap. You are trying to control something whether it's your environment or whether it's your ability to feel something you don't want to feel you try to control that experience by escaping it you know instinct is about being in touch with how you feel about something and probably the scariest question that people have asked me over you know the years that i've eat i've had an eating disorder is what do you want like what do you want (laughs) right that question (laughs) blows my mind because I have no idea. Right. It's like my body had just shut down in its ability to actually detect what my gut is trying to tell me. Right. And so I think a huge part about being in recovery is getting your instinct back. I want that so badly. Well, and I think you bring up an important point though too, which is just, just for people to know, like I think there is two parts to that. One is like being able to hear your gut and the other is following it. Yeah. Because I think you just pointed to, you know, you, because sometimes you would hear that, like your brain would say, don't do this, Emily, or like, you know better. So you would hear it, but you wouldn't follow it. And that's teaching your brain that it can ignore your instincts. It's teaching your brain, teaching your brain to throw them in the trash that they're rubbish. And I do that too. genius. (laughs) And I do that too. Like I would say that I'm really consistently good at hearing it. Like my gut will usually, my gut or my logic or whatever's happening will usually kind of indicate to me what to do. That does not mean I always follow it. That does not mean I do what I know, and not even the right in a moral sense, but like the right thing for my happiness and like well-being. I know what the right thing to do is. That doesn't mean I won't take that third shot sometimes. Like that doesn't mean that I won't stay up far too late doing Whatever it is, I don't know what I was doing. I was watching Mistresses all last week. Oh my god, that thing Ooh. is <laughs> Mistresses. Um, you were binge watching. I was binge watching. Yeah, I was binge something, right? But like, and I know it's like go to bed, go to bed. So I didn't eat my emotions, but I binge watched through them, right? And I knew that was the wrong thing to do, and I knew why I was doing it. Can I comment about that? And yeah. maybe this—it's just kind of a way to again generalize this experience. Is 
through having bulimia, I've realized how many avenues we have in our life to binge in some way. Right. For me, it was food. For other people, it can be TV. For other people, it can be alcohol. Sure. It can be anything. And what it comes down to is escape. Escape and distraction. Yep. And it can be spending way too much time on Facebook or just spending way too much time on your phone. And I guess, you know, perhaps this is selfish of me or or I'm trying to to justify or show that it's okay that I've had an eating disorder. I'm not really sure what it is, but my feeling is, okay, this thing that's called an eating disorder, <laughs> that's such a cruel, harsh way of naming something that a lot of people do in different levels of strength in their own way a right. lot. Right. And what I wanted to show, or I, a reason why I wanted to talk about this today is Everyone has triggers. Everyone is going to be hurt or feel rejected or get frustrated or have to just accept that they can't control this thing that they that they want to so badly. And everyone can then turn to something to avoid that or numb that out. And I almost not that I'm clearly not defending eating disorders, but I wanted to show, okay, people with eating disorders are not some deviant group of people who just really care about being skinny or, (laughs) you know, can't appreciate the food that they have when there's people starving in other countries. Like, we're not selfish assholes. We're people with an addiction that isn't actually all that earth-shatteringly different than a lot of the behaviors that people use every day. And the problem with me and I guess the the thing about Jesse, your brother, is For us, it reached a critical level where it interfered with our life. Right. And that is the fine line that I think we all have to walk. I agree. And that's, I think that's, you know, hearkening back to our on the spectrum conversation, which is that it's a spectrum. And a lot of people are using these, what you call behaviors, behaviors in, in some way the you know, it's just that that middle of the spectrum, which is, I guess, the diagnosable part, we'll say. And that's, and that's the middle. I wouldn't even say that's like at an extreme end. Like that's where it interferes with your life enough to earn a diagnosis. But there is a whole range up to that point that I think a lot of people are operating on. And I think sometimes a little scarily. So I don't know. I think, I think this might be a good time to issue a challenge. <gasps> and I think that the challenge that you just, you know, prompted in my mind is... I would challenge people to take a week and kind of like when you, you know, maybe in health class in high school, you had to do a food journal, but instead kind of do a trigger journal. Like I would say, try to note down any time that maybe you are trying to numb something or that you're trying to distract. Or if it's easier, maybe this challenge is better as know anytime you eat food for or drink a drink you know water or otherwise for a reason other than you know nutrition or or thirst satisfaction and and again that's not bad it's not it's not a bad thing like and, and if you're feeling like there have been times where I just have like the crappiest of days like watching friends at the end of that day is not a bad behavior it's just i think the key is being aware and i think the key is is making that a choice. Like, I'm making a choice to let friends soothe the fact that, you know, somebody said something stupid that I didn't like. Um, I can't think of a reason I'm upset right now. <laughs> but in a normal upset day, yeah, um, that's not bad. I think just be aware because there will be times when maybe it's not the right choice. And I think that the more you're aware of your own habits, the better you'll be able to make the right choice. I think that's, that's so well said and something... If people decide to do this, I mean, 
I'll do it too. Yeah, I'll do it too. Um, I mean, that is something I should be doing all the time, <laughs> but I don't. What I hope it shows is that triggers are normal and it's part of being human. Yeah. It does not mean that you are weak or that you are overly sensitive or that you can't hack it. Being triggered, just kind of having that take over your whole body and mind, um, whatever your trigger is, for me, it's everything to do with emotions. Right. Um, me too. <laughs> negative emotions, guilt, and feelings of rejection. Yeah. Big three. Mm-hmm. Oh, guilt. Yeah. So much oh, guilt in the gosh. forward family. <laughs> exactly. Something I think that goes hand- along with that thought of, you know, triggers being a normal part of life is emotions are temporary. And that is something that Bate has always said to me. And I would look back at her like, no, no, there's, uh, no, you have no idea what it's like to be consumed with, with, with the sadness that I feel. No. When an emotion hits you that is just all consuming, you cannot see the end of that wave. Mm-hmm. But it is a wave. And what she always says to me is if you sit there with it and let yourself feel it, it will go. It will run its course. That's the hardest thing in the world is yeah. actually just sitting with those feelings. And so when I say that I'm in recovery, in a nutshell, that's what that means. I don't, Susan, I can't tell you how just emotionally naked I feel all the time. I feel yeah. so exposed because the tools that I've used to avoid feelings or, or deal with things, I don't have them anymore. So I kind of how I feel like is what am I going to do? Like I don't have, I don't have the tools in my tool belt. Right. I don't have eating disorder behaviors or alcohol, but I have other things that are ultimately going to be more powerful. Like friends. Like friends. (laughs) Like I remember you describing when you were talking about standing in front of the pantry and you were just saying that your eyes got wide and that you were glassy and that you were staring off into the distance. And I almost think that that's your brain's way, right, of like keeping all of those thoughts out. It's your brain's way of making sure no helpful thoughts get in there. It's almost a, a learned habit of your body protecting yourself from itself your body is your body has learned to protect itself from the good thoughts getting in so protect you in in a non-protective way really and I think that so I think that the difference is is that that's what you live with like I don't that's something that I don't have like I am able to stop myself when I if I find myself in on that spectrum and and heading up towards maybe that functional mark in the middle I am able to pull back and and hear my thoughts and say stop doing this or you don't need any more popcorn like that's enough um you can pull yourself out of a binge not out of a binge but out of maybe a cycle of binging I agree with the binge comment once you're down that road like come hell or high water but you can pull yourself out of doing another bad behavior after Right. That. Like, I can pull myself out of, like, the next day, the minute I feel myself maybe creeping towards that. I think I've told you this before. Like, if I even feel like that's about to happen, like, I might shut and lock my door so that I'm in my room and then I tell myself, you're in your room for the rest of the night. And that's something, like, you're looking at me like this right now. Like, that's something that you've always been like, I couldn't do that. Like, I will go into the kitchen. I'm looking at you (laughs) starry-eyed. Right, you're looking at me starry-eyed right now. And I think that's the difference, right? Like, the difference is that, that, like, for you, like, that's what hits you at that functional point where it's diagnosable is that there's, you're living with an addiction, like a real, like, and whereas I feel like I get addicted and I have addictive behaviors, I think I, I'm more regularly able to break myself out of that cycle. Although I'm, I'm sure I, you know, there's there's things I should be doing as well. I think that your experience was actually a lot more powerful and came out a lot stronger than you thought it was going to. I guess I, I just say that because 
in, in someone going into this, they might think, oh, well, Emily had an eating disorder. You know, her story is going to be the most powerful. And that's not true. And there were times in which you were talking and I thought what Susan had to go through sounds harder. I think that when you say that it was harder, maybe for me, that the difference is like as a, you know, as a kid or even as a teenager, as an adult watching, watching someone with an eat disorder, like your brain isn't fuzzy. Like you're not looking into the distance. Those thoughts aren't gone. Like you're watching with a clear mind as somebody who's in that goes through it. You're watching with a clear cognitive ability to process all this information as somebody, you know, lets themselves almost die day in and day out and and you're and you're witnessing this. So you don't have to go through it, which is really hard and I'm I'm almost kind of glad maybe our brain protects ourselves from that sometimes. Like you don't like I don't have to go through that experience that you're going through, but I am able to watch you with a completely clear mind. And I think especially as a young kid, you're right. There's, you're right. Sometimes I, I think I don't allow myself to, it feels selfish to be like, well, it was hard for me. But like, yeah, you're right. I'm looking at you dumbfounded. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Susan, I just, I, I'm not going to even talk about myself because I don't know what I would do in the situation. But I just, the thought that kept going through my head while you were talking was it would kill me. Yeah. It would literally kill me to see someone that I love go through that and have there be nothing I can do about it. So you had to develop at a very young age I think the skills that allowed you to still show love without trying to solve. And I think that is, I mean, you probably didn't develop it when you were 10. It's probably taken many, many, many years. But, oh my gosh, everyone needs that. Or else things will kill us. <laughs> yeah, although I do think it's one of those things that as you learn, you know, it 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 uh, it forces you to really accept reality a little bit. You know, like I think it takes a little of this, a little bit of magic out. And I don't think that's terrible. I think that it creates a new reality. But I think that that's one of the things I maybe struggled with the most was just that, yeah, that that breaking of magic a little bit. You know, like I wanted to believe that everything was really beautiful and everything could turn out for the best. And you have to learn that love doesn't conquer all. And wanting and, and somebody being bright and beautiful doesn't mean that they'll choose to live. Yet you still find yourself as a positive psychologist. <laughs> yeah, somehow, that's a conversation for another day. I really commend you, Susan, for encouraging us to talk about this. Because I did not want to talk about this. <laughs> you just came right out with it like two weeks ago. You said, I think we need to talk about eating disorders. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Damn it, she's right. So good for you for pushing this. Thank you. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully, hopefully it was worth it. And um, hopefully people learn a little something from this. Because I think what when we feel a little scared and like we're pushing ourselves, I think you and I tend to lock eyes and feel like we're on the right track. And that means this is something if we feel squirrely about it, it's something we should be talking about. So I commend both of us for going for it today. All right. High five. And um, we will see you guys next week when we will report on our challenge. Good luck, everyone.